Hi, friends. Welcome to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. I'm Leona Evans, and I'm here today, as always, with my son and co-host, Matthew J. Evans. Hi, it's great to be here today. I'm really excited to continue our theme of Black History Month and talk about somebody really special. Yes, very, very special. Her name is Ruby Bridges Hall. She was born on September 8, 1954, and she was the first African-American child to desegregate the all-white William France Elementary School in New Orleans, Louisiana, when she was only six years old. Yeah, such a a remarkable thing to have to break that barrier at such a young age. And Mm -hmm. as we're going to find out, she had to face down some really, really extreme circumstances. Yes, she did. And the fact was that she did it with the help of the federal agents, the NAACP, uh, her parents, her family, all of the people around her. But it wasn't easy. Now, the year Ruby was born, 1954, was the same year as the famous Brown versus Board of Education decision, which declared the process of segregating black children from white children as unconstitutional. But even though the Brown versus Board of Education decision was finalized in 1954, southern states strongly resisted the decision. Many white people didn't want the schools to be integrated, and even though it was written into law, that they must integrate, the state governments were not making an effort to enforce the new laws. That's really interesting. You know, we see that a lot, even today, when when a new law is passed, when something really groundbreaking is enacted, there is resistance at the at the state level, at the local level. And and that really, you know, we think about these big political movements, all oh, the civil rights movement, getting the Voting Rights Act passed, you know, big things at the federal level that make a huge difference. But it's so important that those big ideas are supported at the local level. Yes, that's true. Our friend Arun Gandhi says, the government can pass laws for equal rights, but they can't force people to treat one another equally. Now, in 1957, Orville Faubus was the governor of Arkansas, and he encouraged violence and resistance to integration, so much so that federal troops were ordered to escort the Little Rock Nine, which was the name given to the first students, so that no harm would come to them. But things got so violent that President Eisenhower was called to intervene and make sure that integration took place. I remember first learning about this actually through music. One of my favorite composers and bass players, Charles Mingus, wrote a a song called Fables of Faubus, where he kind of talks about this, and the point of the song is to kind of mock him and and to promote the ideas of integration and to almost make fun of the racism and prejudice in the face of how violent it was. Yes, that's a very powerful number, Fables of Faubus. And I think on YouTube, there's a recording of you doing that somewhere, do you think? There is. Uh, There's a recording of me doing it. There's some very cool live versions of Mingus himself doing it. Um, It's great. It's a great song. It is. It's complex and it's mesmerizing. It really is. In 1960, three years after the Little Rock Nine incident, the school board in New Orleans, where Ruby Bridges lived, administered an entrance exam to students at her school with the intention of keeping black children out of white schools. 
the school board was so confident that only white students could pass that test. But in early 1960, Ruby Bridges was one of six black children in New Orleans to pass the test, which determined whether they could go to the all-white William France Elementary School. Now, Ruby Bridges ended up being the only student who would go. There was a lot of resistance, a lot of fear around attending an all-white school for the first time. I could imagine. I mean, after seeing what was happening around the country, like we just said in Arkansas, I wouldn't want to send my like six-year-old child so young, oh my gosh, so vulnerable. It's a terrible feeling of, of sending them just to, to get beat up or worse. Yes, it was a very, very difficult decision that her parents had to make. And her father was very concerned that Ruby would be harmed, very concerned. They had no idea what kind of violence lay ahead for them. But her mother was clear that the color barrier had to be broken and that this opportunity was an extremely important one. She wanted the opportunity to give her daughter a better education and to take this step forward for all African-American children. And the fact is that she did accompany her but so many federal troops did as well. Ruby's first day of school, November 14, 1960, she and her mother were escorted to the school by federal marshals. There was such a large crowd of people outside the school that as they were driving up, Ruby actually thought it was Mardi Gras. But these people were throwing things and shouting hate speech and had to be kept back by police and barriers. The marshals told Ruby to keep calm and to keep her eyes forward, not to look back. They all later shared that she showed a great deal of courage. She never cried. She just marched along like a little soldier, and we were all very proud of her. That's incredible to to not only have to go to a school surrounded by guards, but to have that courage to not give them that satisfaction, even though they were shouting her name, they were shouting all kinds of horrible things at her to to keep that resolve is incredible. Yes, it is. And this is not to take away any credit from her, but the fact is, because she was only six, she really didn't understand what was going on. Very true. She didn't really understand the violence that was being shouted. She didn't really understand the names she was being called until later. And so, in a way, this was helpful that she was not aware because it kept her grounded because she did end up having some emotional challenges when she did find out. So this was almost a blessing. So as soon as Ruby and her mother entered the school, the white parents started pulling their children out, and all of the teachers except for one refused to teach while a black child was there. The only person who agreed to teach Ruby was a young teacher named Barbara Henry from Boston, Massachusetts. She came from the North. She didn't have the background of prejudice. She was open and fully supported the integration of schools. The first day, Ruby and her mother spent the entire day in the principal's office because there was so much chaos going on around them. The second day, Barbara Henry taught Ruby in a classroom where she was the only child in her class. It stayed like that for an entire year. 
Every morning as Ruby walked to school, the protesters were still there to harass and shout hate speech at her. One woman protester kept threatening to poison her, and another was there holding up a black baby doll in a coffin. Ruby became deeply frightened that she was going to be poisoned. For a while, she refused to eat anything but packaged foods that she could open herself. And it took a long time for her to feel safe to eat food that her mom cooked for her again. Wow, can you imagine the fear in a child at the age of six to be frightened of food because somebody was trying to kill you? I know, it's so heartbreaking and so unreasonable that someone could do that to a child. It's so unfair. It's it's just so wrong. Yes, it is so very difficult to understand how grown people would feel that much hatred and fear for a child. Well, little by little, Ruby began to be introduced to the fact that all of this controversy was because many white people didn't accept blacks as being equal. And although it took a while for Ruby to understand that, once she figured out it was because of the color of her skin, she started drawing pictures at school and at home where the white people would be looking perfect and the black people looked misshapen and deformed. Well, her parents were very worried, and so was her teacher. And just about that time, a child psychologist named Dr. Robert Coles volunteered to help Ruby work through her issues, and he visited her on a weekly basis throughout her first year at school. Years later, he wrote a children's book called The Story of Ruby Bridges, and he donated the royalties from the sale of that book to the Ruby Bridges Foundation to provide money for impoverished New Orleans school children. That's really powerful. It's it's so interesting. Like today, there's so much literature and so much conversation about internalized oppression or internalized racism. And there she was living through it right there. You know, we saw her or the people who were observing her. And then we later saw the movie about her. But we saw her go from a, a child who didn't have an understanding of that kind of prejudice, that kind of societal oppression to because of her exposure to it, because she was seeing it, hearing it every day, she internalized it. She believed it about herself, about her family, about the world around her. Yes, and she also started calling her brothers and sisters the N-word and all the other words that she was hearing. And so this was a very, very difficult time. So we're very grateful for Dr. Robert Coles, who worked with her and was patient with her and developed a, a trusting relationship with her over the years so she could process that with him. And he would continue to reinforce for her, just as her church and her parents did, that the color of the skin doesn't change a person's character, that she was worthy and wonderful and deserving of the best that life has to offer. But it goes to show how if it's left untreated, as for so many hundreds of thousands of people, it has been the damage it can do. And and 
how it, it lies at the root of so many issues. Yes, it does. There is so much more that we have learned now about the nature of anger and how it can wreak havoc in our bodies and in our lives when it's not acknowledged. We endure so many things that are painful to us in our lives, and especially for African-American people. But I can tell you this much, that unless we acknowledge that anger, unless we pay attention to it, it will fester inside of us and then blow up when we least expect it. Not only did Ruby suffer from all this, but her family did too. Her father lost a job as a gas station attendant. The local grocery store would no longer let them shop there. Her grandparents, who were sharecroppers in Mississippi, were turned off their land. And her parents eventually separated. How awful to hear the kind of pressure that was put upon Ruby and her family just because of the color of their skin just because white people were afraid, just because they didn't want to integrate the schools. Yeah, and it's so, so heartbreaking how punitive the reaction was, you know, not only targeting her, but going after the whole family. It's all, I mean, even out of state, you know, that animosity. Obviously, this was a huge story nationwide. People heard about it. So there was a positive reaction, but also this very strong negative reaction. So let's talk a little bit about the positive. Yeah, there was a positive reaction as well. Ruby also remembers that many in her community showed their support. Little by little, white families started to send their kids back to school, despite the huge crowds of protesters. A neighbor offered her father a new job. Other neighbors watched the house at night to protect it and make sure nobody broke in or tried to hurt them. And the neighbors would even walk behind the federal marshal's car on the trips to school. And Ruby eventually learned that the beautiful clothing that she wore to school every day had been sent to her family by a relative of Dr. Coles, the psychiatrist. How wonderful to know that the people in her community began to show their support so lovingly. Well, during Ruby's year with Dr. Coles, she was able to work through many of the issues that she suffered through during her early months at school, particularly in the areas of self-worth and issues of safety and security. But the biggest lesson that Dr. Coles learned from Ruby had to do with her spiritual strength and her understanding of the power of forgiveness. In his book, The Story of Ruby Bridges, Dr. Coles recounts how, instead of feeling rage and anger toward those who were bullying and taunting her so severely, she told him that every day before and after school, she said a prayer. She said, please, God, try to forgive those people, because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing, so you could just forgive them just like you did those folks a long time ago when they said terrible things about you. Every time I read that or quote her, it just moves me so powerfully. For a child, six years old, who really didn't know what racial discrimination was and 
really had no idea she was making history. She knew one thing, that she was taught at her church and at her home to forgive and to love and to meet hate with love. And that is so moving to me. That's one of the most powerful stories I have ever heard about the power of love and the sophisticated level of spiritual awareness that can be within a child. Remarkable. It really is. It's it's so easy to assume that that a person would respond with anger, that that when you're met with so much hatred and you're met with so much resistance that you just want to resist back. And I think for a lot of people, that is the, the default reaction. But to see that in her, you know, as you said, to see that in, in such a young child, to, to handle that with such grace, to always return to that prayer is, is so moving. Well, Ruby continued attending William France Elementary School until it was time for her to go to high school. The white children that refused to play with her later on befriended her and learned a great deal about love and tolerance from all those experiences. After she graduated from an integrated high school, Ruby worked as a travel agent for 15 years and later got married and became a loving parent to four children. In 1964, the legendary painter Norman Rockwell was really moved by the story of Ruby Bridges, and he painted a really powerful depiction of the efforts that were made to ensure that black people were guaranteed an equal education. He called this painting The Problem We All Live With. And at the time, he was working for the Saturday Evening Post, but they wouldn't allow him to express his political themes. So he quit his job there and went to work for Look Magazine, who offered him the opportunity to share his civil rights themes. Rockwell received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977. I love that story because Norman Rockwell, I mean, he's he was a national institution. He did his covers on the Saturday Evening Post for years. And when he developed his need to bring his artwork into social action, that became more important to him than being an institution at the Saturday Evening Post. And so when Look Magazine found out that he was available, they jumped at the chance, and he jumped at the chance to be able to use his art to affect people emotionally and to call them to action. He was a wonderful artistic advocate for civil rights. And it's so interesting for him to be the artist to do it because his work was so associated with Americana, with American life. So for that suddenly to include these issues of civil rights is a major game changer for how Americans all over the country could see themselves. Yes, very, very powerful. Well, in 1998, Ruby was the subject of a made-for-TV movie, which was seen on the wonderful world of Disney, called Ruby Bridges, which was very well done, extremely powerful film. The film is on Disney Plus, if any of you want to view it. It's really, really excellent. In 1999, Ruby developed the Ruby Bridges Foundation to promote the values of tolerance, respect, 
and appreciation of all differences. She says, racism is a grown-up disease, and we must stop using our children to spread it. In November 2007, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis unveiled a permanent exhibit documenting her life, along with Anne Frank and Ryan White. The exhibit is called The Power of Children, Making a Difference. Now, in 2011, Ruby Bridges met with President Obama at the White House. He had requested that the problem we all live with be on exhibition at the White House to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of integrated schools in New Orleans. He told Ruby, I think it's fair to say that if it hadn't been for you, I might not be here and we wouldn't be looking at this together. Isn't that beautiful? It is. If we were on TV, I would show you a lovely picture, but go ahead and look it up. Google uh, President Obama and Ruby Bridges at the White House. It's a beautifully framed photo, and it's it just is an emotional experience to take a look at it, to really see how much progress has been made. And it started with a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. To see how within someone's lifetime, we went from segregated schools to an integrated White House, so to speak. It, it's really quite incredible. It is incredible, and we need to honor that, and we still need to honor the fact that there's a long way to go. Both those things are true. Definitely. There is still a lot of progress that needs to be made. Ruby was awarded the Presidential Citizens Medal by President Bill Clinton. She was also honored as a hero against racism at the 12th Annual Anti-Defamation League Concert Against Hate, and Two elementary schools are named after her. She's written two books, Through My Eyes, and another published in 2020 called This Is Your Time. She's also the subject of a classic children's book published by Scholastics called Ruby Bridges Goes to School, a must-read for every child, I think, over the age of five, six Yet yeah, right at that age that she was when she entered school. How how perfect that the journey comes full circle. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I respectfully challenge all of you to get off your affirmation and be the change you want to see in the world. It's the only real way for us to honor the freedoms that are the natural birthright of all human beings. Thanks so much for listening to the Get Off Your Affirmation podcast. Please get in touch with us on our website, getoffyouraffirmation.com, or on our Facebook page. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Have a wonderful week. You deserve it. <laughs>